Father, we just want to thank you. We want to praise you. We want to worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You brought us through one more week, Lord. Sixteen days. Every day, Lord, it was your hand and your hand alone that kept us. We just want to thank you, Father. Truly, as your servant said, you are our righteousness. You are our shield, our buckler. And you are our exceedingly great reward. Thank you, thank you, Father. This morning, as we come to the teaching of the word of God, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Teach us, Lord, teach us. Because you said, even as we see that day approaching, we come together, we learn, and we encourage one another to stay the course till the end, O oh Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We'll turn back to our room by the context in which we are all learning everything. We're looking at what we call the B series, not the B-E-E, but the B-E. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. See then, <clears throat> okay, see then, you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. <clears throat> Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The first verse, verse 15 says, be careful about your walk. Okay. Be careful about your walk. Okay, it's not about how you, even normally when you walk, you're careful how you walk, that you don't stumble, you don't slip, you leave the rough, rocky, you walk, try to walk on a smooth road. And spiritually God says, be careful how you walk. Be careful. Circumspectly means being careful how you walk. Don't walk as fools, but as wise. Then in the context he says, you know, the fools waste time. Fools waste time. The wise are very careful how they spend time because they know. Let's, let's, let's put it across in a way which you understand. Imagine your salary a month is only 10k. Let's say 10k. And your expenses come to almost or it is, let us say 10k and 500. You know how careful you will be in how you spend? Your money. That's the way to think. You have 10k income and your outgoing expenses is around 11k. So you know you have to make adjustments. You have to prioritize your entire month. What you're gonna buy and what you're not going to buy. You know what is important, what is essential and what is non-essential. Immediately everything starts. But people don't think about the same thing about time. Unlike money, you can get back or you can make more. Something about time, you cannot get it back. You cannot make more time. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Be careful about, let's use the word walk. Instead of walk, let us be with the word spend. Be careful about how you spend your money. Be careful. Don't be a fool who goes on a shopping spree with his money. And buys all these non-essentials and then stocks it up and never uses it. Be careful about how you use your time. 
but be wise. Be wise. Redeeming the time. The only way you can redeem your time is that you actually know your spiritual priorities. What is important in eternity. And one day we will suddenly realize, that's what the Bible talks about, our works coming through the fire, that most of the things which are normal Christian, not normal, abnormal Christian, there are very few normal Christians, abnormal Christian does, will never enter into eternity, yet they spend so much time on it. Will not enter into eternity. What a waste. No? What a waste. What a waste. And you realize, honestly, the simple way to realize is when you shift your houses. You realize if you lived in a house for five or six years, the amount of junk you accumulated. Where did all these things come from? Well, you bought it. The amount. And you hardly used most of those things. Right? That's what is going to happen in eternity when it will be a rude awakening when people realize, you know, oh, the time I had on earth was for a preparation for a place that God was preparing. And I wasted my time. I didn't, I didn't do those things which I was supposed to do. So it is talking about time because the days are evil. The days are evil. Why is the days evil? The days are evil because of what the enemy does. The world system itself is evil. Right? World system. Let me ask you this simple question. Because we are using time in terms of money. You go to a Kirana show, you go to Ikea. Where do you get tempted? Oh, I went to the Kirana store. I couldn't control myself. Does anybody say that? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Still, do you stick to the Kirana store? No. Okay. One thing about the Kirana store, the safe thing about the Kirana store is that he doesn't let you inside. Right? You have to stand outside and tell him, I want that, I want that. He gives to you. If you enter into a supermarket, then you have these corridors and you have the shelves on both sides. And before you know, you end up buying at least a few things which you never intended and you never want. Okay, the days are evil. <clears throat> the days are evil. If it was evil in Paul's time, it is even more evil in our times. It, the things in this world is Created by the enemy and his people to steal our time so that we do not finish our purpose, God's purpose. Okay, why? Because verse 16, 17 says, reason is understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, we have to, each one has to understand what the will of God is. If we understood the will of God, we will suddenly realize, right, you know, keep an eye on the clock. Keep an eye on the clock. You only have, every one of us has only a certain period of time to do God's will in our own lives. Everybody has general, which we learn, and specific. Once you know you're specific, after that you focus on the specific so that you become what God had intended you to become. There is one part which only God can do. Now there's another part only you and I can do. And these two should go together. God will not do what I am supposed to do. And I cannot do what only God can do. 
So we are not talking about what God will do. We are looking at what we have to do. Okay? Please be careful. And the Bible says in verse 16, The days are evil. It's not just bad. It is evil. Okay? Evil. From the time Adam and Eve sinned and the curses started, the sin began, the fall began, what has happened to humanity is corruption began. Degeneration began. You cannot reverse it. It's it's not possible. If that degeneration because of the fall of first Lucifer in the heavenlies and man on earth could be reversed, then Revelation 21 would be a new beginning. It would have said, I saw the old earth and the old heavens cleansed. doesn't say that. It's not possible. So God has to restart all over again. The whole of creation is waiting for the restart button. But who's delaying them? Us. Whole creation is waiting for the restart of the new beginning. But nothing is going to begin until the church has finished its work or not. Okay, so we need to realize, you know, I'll tell you, whole family is ready. Everybody is ready, ready to go, let us say, on a trip. And you know, and then the little one says, potty. <laughs> finished. <laughs> you know, standing there, finished fast, finished fast. Can you make a little one finish fast? <laughs> no, you can't. The whole family is stuck. Because one person, okay, <laughs> these are real life experiences, parents understand. So all of creation has been held up by the children in the church, not this one, the older children. These are ready for rapture. The older people are not ready. If Jesus comes, they will just go in a twinkling of an eye. Okay, Parents may be left behind. Don't be surprised. Okay, So the children, the one who are not spiritually growing, they are holding back. <clears throat> but remember, it won't be held back forever. Okay? Again, we know no? our famous game, no? SAT. We used to call it SAT. Close your eyes. One, two, three, four, twenty. And the little one says, I am not ready. <laughs> okay, we count till thirty. Finally, we say, ready or not? Here I come. That is why all the warnings in the Bible is, no, I will come like a thief in the night. Whether you are ready or not, I will suddenly come. It's a sudden. So keep that. Corruption is irreversible. You can slow it down for a little time. When the, there are seasons where corruption slowed down, when the church was very powerful, there was a season in the world a few hundred years back and for some time, the church was very powerful, America was looked upon, Britain was looked upon, the church was very powerful, so the, the corruption was slowed down. Now, if you have noticed, the corruption has entered into the church and immediately you see the, the spiraling of evil. Laws being changed everywhere. You know why? Now we are fast-forwarding corruption. Like in the past, this year itself, in the past couple of years, things have changed radically if your eyes are open. So what is happening is that, simple thing is, the Spirit of God is slowly withdrawing. Slowly withdrawing. 
Okay, he's slowly withdrawing. And we have to be very careful about it, slowly withdrawing. And that's why I keep an eye on the U.S., what is happening in the political, social spectrum over there. And you will realize, you know what? The Spirit of God is withdrawing, allowing the corruption to take over. So the church has to be very, very, very careful. Be very wise. Okay, so understand the will of God. Understand the will of God. As individuals, we need to understand the first primary will of God. Second Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What is that? His coming. I'll just come like the thief in the night. He's not slack. He hasn't forgotten. He knows. Has some count slackness. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is he slowing his coming, delaying his coming? Delay. The Bible talks about different places when the delay took place, the bridegroom delayed, the master delayed. Why is he delaying? What's the only purpose for delaying? So that people would come to repentance and don't have to go to eternal judgment to help. That's the reason. So those of us who are saved should have that first in our mind. God is delaying. There are many in my household not saved yet. That should be a priority in my prayer list. Not my needs. Not my needs. Because the Bible says, thy kingdom come. When the kingdom comes, what happens? It's over. It's over. The kingdom come is good only for those who are in the kingdom. It is not for good those who are outside the kingdom. And we know many of our own loved ones are Outside the kingdom. So immediately be careful how you reduce your time. Why? Knowing the will of God. What is the first will of God? No one should perish. And that's his desire. So it is one prayer. You can constantly pray and ask, Lord, is this your will? Absolutely. So that's what Jesus says. Men should pray and not Lose heart. Because when the Son of Man comes, he should find that you have not given up on that first thing. The general will of God is the salvation of humanity and the salvation of mankind. And we should have a burden for that. And who is the easiest people to have a burden for? Your own flesh and blood. Your own flesh and blood. And that's what... uh, uh, Peter, Paul all says, if you believe, you and your household shall be saved. Why? You have influence in your household, your prayer, your witness, your testimony. Has the power to draw them to Christ. It's the most difficult place to be a witness, but the most powerful place you can be a witness. Because they know you better than anybody else and they know you have changed. Because they know you. Your flesh and blood knows you, unlike your friends and colleagues and all. Your flesh and blood knows you. And when you are saved and you are changed radically, they know. They will watch you for a long time. Is this real or not? How long? Once you know, they see you are consistent, you know what? You have a powerful impact on them coming in. So know the will of God. Know the will of God. The first primary will of God is that no man should perish. First. Second, for the believer, again, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 3. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It has appeared to all men. Some men received it. Some men received it. So those who are saved, we are saved by faith, by grace, through faith. We are saved by grace. Those who are saved by grace suddenly realizes grace also teaches. 
Grace teaches. The very grace that saved us doesn't leave us there. It's moving us to something else, which is what is called sanctification. Teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should so live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present, put within brackets, evil age. Remember the age is evil. The days are evil. In this present evil age, the grace teaches us how to look, because you are preparing. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. Immediately everything changes. You know what? Once you are saved, everything changes. You are preparing for an event that is promised. God is not delaying because He's lack, he's delaying only for the purpose that as many as can be saved. It's the only reason. Okay? Second thing, grace teaches us. So in this race, please we remember, grace teaches salvation and sanctification. Keep this as the will of God. Again, why time is important. Even to be sanctified, you have only a certain amount of time. A certain amount of time. Okay, that's why it's good to keep an eye on yourself. Am I really changing? Am I still the same person? Am I more patient, more loving, more kind, more merciful, more honest, more integrity? Am I am I changing as a person? Because you you have only a certain amount of time to change. And the problem is change is more and more difficult as you grow older. That's why you have this saying it's difficult to teach old dogs new tricks. And you know, in practical ways, you know. No, when you grow older, you want to learn something new. You know how difficult it is. Because your mind is set in a particular way. Your flesh is set in a particular way. And change is very difficult. Okay? It's not, it is not impossible. But it becomes more difficult. So it is easier for, like, when you look at children, it is easier for children to change. Teach them anything new. It's easier for them. It's more difficult. The same thing is true spiritually. If you don't change, when you are saved, the initial years you understand, get onto the road of change, it will become more and more difficult to change because you are set in your ways, your thinking, and your flesh gets set in its ways and flesh refuses. Okay? So if grace does not teach you, if we are not receiving or hearing the teaching of grace, that also could mean we have not received the salvation by grace in the first place. Because grace has its own complete work. If I have not been saved by grace, then grace does not teach me. Okay? Grace does not teach me. But if I have been saved by grace, then grace is teaching me. So grace is preparing a people for God. Keep that in mind. Time on earth is a time of preparation. In Luke chapter 1 verse 17, when the gospel is being said to the first man in the new covenant to hear the actual gospel is Zachariah. He hears in the holy place, very close to the most holy place, angel Gabriel gives him the gospel. And he talks about the son he's going to have. And he says, he will also go before him. Who is him? Jesus. In the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
This mission will end only when Jesus comes. The mission of the church is to prepare, make ready a people who prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist's job was to prepare a people to hear the gospel. So he went with a message, a one-line message. And when Jesus came and he preached, they received his message because John had prepared. After the gospel has come in and the church has begun, the message of the church within the church is to prepare a people for the second coming of the Lord. It's a message of preparation. The church is not primarily involved in teaching anything else inside the church. It's preparing a people to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. You should not be unprepared when the Lord comes. You should be prepared, absolutely confident in your day-to-day walk. If the Lord comes today, I am ready. If the Lord comes today, I am ready. I am preparing. Okay? And that's the way. It's, it's, it's like uh, with exams, a day is set. But with Christ, you do not know the day. But a good student, look like we used to teach them uh, when we were teachers, especially it's not here with us today. When we were teachers, you know, when we begin, you know, when we begin, like when I when I taught uh, Caesar, when you finish Act One and Scene One, okay, and uh, first two or three uh, weeks later, I said you're going to have a test. Okay, how much is a portion? One scene. Those who were prepared for one scene did well. Did well. Only one scene. But they prepared. Then act, then you go to scene two. You give another test. The second test would involve act one, scene one, and scene two. And those who were prepared were prepared with scene one and scene two. At the end you had the whole text. So that's the way you prepare. You are prepared. Anytime you come, Lord, with what much you have given me and shown me, I am prepared. He has shown us, hasn't shown us everything. But what he has shown us, we are prepared. Don't worry about what he hasn't shown us. He is very fair. He's absolutely fair how he judges. Absolutely. The word of God says very clearly, he's very, very impartial in his judges. He will not judge you by what you do not know. There will be no out-of-syllabus question in anybody's life. Every question you will be evaluated will be within the syllabus. Within the syllabus. That's why Jesus, about his impartiality, if you look in the Gospels, he will go to his towns where he preached. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazim. Why? If what was taught to you had and done in you, before you, had been taught to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have been here till today. It would be better for them on the day of judgment than for you. Why? Sodom and Gomorrah only will be judged according to the light which they received. We look at their evil, but we don't look at their light. They had very little light. That's why they were evil. But he says to Israel, you had so much light and you are equally evil. So who will be judged more? Severely. Each one will be judged according to the light. God is very, very impartial. Very, very, very impartial. Absolutely impartial. So it is not a good thing to know more if we don't practice. We don't trust God and say, Lord, change me. Because that's what Jesus said. So he's very, very... So the whole thing is to get a people ready. People ready. 
you cannot and the whole thing is that if you if you look at the message of the gospel the entire message of the gospel begins with the message of repentance what is repentance in simple words it's changing okay let's look at acts chapter 3 and verse 19 repent therefore and be converted okay and be converted you have to change okay repentance is the doorway through which you change and your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of god mark those word every time the word of god uses the word repent mark it acts 20 and verse 21 how do you prepare i sorry testifying to jews and also to greeks repentance toward god and faith toward our lord jesus christ look at that usage very carefully we repent towards god why all have sinned and come short of the glory all our sins are against god the father so our repentance should be towards god yesterday i said about what does it mean to fall short of the glory of god if you listened you understood it very well right man was all of creation the entire creation when it was created including the angels the fallen angels everything they fell later and man everything was to reflect god's glory that when there's nobody outside creation but if there was somebody outside creation came into creation they would look at god and said wow remember when the queen of sheba came to solomon's palace and listened to him and she was wow she says it's greater than what i heard about you i heard about you but wow your wisdom and your opulence you're truly great okay so the entire creation was supposed to reflect the glory of god what it sin do it mars his glory and i told you the example of a mirror that we have mirrors in the house we have a mirror especially in the bathroom about the wash basin and that has to be cleaned regularly why the toothpaste the soap everything no so what happens you look into it you see you cannot your glory is not reflected properly okay and then you have you have the dressing table mirror okay and usually we like i told you yesterday if i'm right the best mirrors you get from belgium the belgium glass okay in that you can really really i will tell you a simple example all of you who take selfies will delete most of it right everybody shaking their head right you know why because you don't like the way you look and you will keep the best only even when you go to take a passport size photograph he will take many shots and then he will look through and say sir is this okay why when he presents you he wants you have to look at your best glory are you getting the understand getting the picture about glory means so what did sin do sin mars god's glory we don't creation no longer reflects the glory of the creator of the of the of the creator okay so all sin is against god so we have to repent towards god by saying i'm sorry lord I am sorry. I don't reflect. This is not what I was meant to be. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay, it's not apologize. You can use those words with God. He doesn't get mad with you. I apologize. I am sorry that I am this is not what I am supposed to be. I should be reflecting you better. That is repentance towards God. 
But the problem is, you have already sinned. You already fallen short of the glory of God. How can you be restored? Faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second part. You turn. God says, I, I accept your apology. Now, if you want to reflect my glory, look to my son and to his work alone. You getting the picture? Repentance is towards God. Faith is towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is not towards God the Father. Faith is not towards uh, the Holy Spirit. Faith is towards Jesus because Jesus is the one who, the only one who can restore us because he paid the price. He came and died for us. He became, to get remission of sins, you have to look at the work of Jesus Christ. So this goes together. What does it mean? It means where there is no repentance, there is no salvation. Repentance always precedes salvation. A prayer, okay, repeat this prayer after me. That is a good prayer only if repentance takes place. Otherwise, prayers have no meaning at all. The Bible does not say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It says repent, repent, repent and believe. Repentance is towards the Father because we all sinned against God. Faith is towards Jesus Christ. So repentance is the doorway. And as we go through that doorway every day, we are being prepared for the coming of the Lord. Go to Acts, uh, I think it's 2620. And declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, that is Paul, throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God and do works befending repentance. So you take repentance out, there's no salvation. And that's basically what happened in the 21st century. People are preaching a gospel where there is no repentance. There is no change. You don't have to repent. Just come as you are. You don't have to repent. But there's no Bible like that. There's no gospel like that. The gospel demands repentance. Demands repentance. Remands a forsaking, a changing of mind. And the changing of mind actually is total as you go through. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ Jesus, the old has passed away. The old ways of thinking has passed away. Basically, you have to start with this premonition that everything that I was has passed away. It will keep passing away only first if you accept that idea. Okay? Accept this idea. When a man uh, and a woman gets married and when the vows are exchanged, the Bible says, for this uh, reason man shall leave. What is that leave? Father and mother. Why is at the top? Below is everything else in life. Does that mean as soon as he gets married, exchange and the ring is and okay, I pronounce your husband and wife, they both run away. I never want to see you again. No, they don't do that. But they have made a commitment. At any time, they or anybody comes between the two of us, we will choose to walk away from them. And then as they go in life, they will realize they have to leave, they have to forsake many, everything underneath they have to forsake. And if the parents are non-controversial, they don't intervene, they will realize, you know what, I don't have to leave them because they have left me. But it all begins with this statement. Everything was, that's the two people you grew up with. That's the most important two people in your life before you get married. So everything with them and below them, you're willing to forsake. So salvation is also like that. 
First thing is that everything that I was, I forsake. Forsake. Then as you go along, you will know what all you have to forsake. Some things God may not ask you to forsake because those things in your past agree with in the things in the pre- in the future. So he says, you don't have to forsake that. Okay, let me ask you this simple question. Before I got saved, before I got saved, connected with time, my father taught me, disciplined me about the importance of time. Now I got saved, I have to ignore the importance of time. No, it works. I don't have to get rid of that. Those things agree with the kingdom of God. But I begin with the premonition, all things have passed away. It is up to God to decide what things have passed away and what things have not passed away. But actually it works if you put it across in Second Corinthians 5.17. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you look, if I look into my own lives, which was true, God, my father had disciplined me about time, the value of time and how careful you should be with time and how I used my time before I got saved. But when I got saved, that value of the importance of time was saved, but how I use my time now became different. It had actually become new. The things I read, I was reading no more. The things I did, I wasn't doing anymore. Things had changed. Actually, in so many ways, it had become new. Because the kingdom brings newness into every area of your life. That's what the kingdom does. So the doorway into the kingdom, that's why he says that gateway is very, very narrow. That is the gateway of repentance. We have to be willing to repent. And why do we repent? The first word used in Matthew 3 and verse 2, statement that is used, saying, um, John the Baptist, yes, little ones here, okay? Screen, when the scripture comes here, read it, okay? I know you can all read very well. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is certain. Why do I have to repent? Why do we have to repent? Because the kingdom of God is here. You cannot enter into the kingdom the way you are. It's a completely different kingdom. Completely. You have to change your thinking. Anybody who goes abroad will suddenly realize when you get into a car. Every time I go abroad, especially when I go to the Middle East and my brother-in-law and my sister comes to pick me up, every time without thinking I open the door and get in and my brother-in-law says, you want to drive? I said, no. Why? Because their steering wheel is not on the side. For us, it is on the right side. For them, it's on the left side. So from the minute you get out in the airport and start getting into your vehicle, you have to start thinking different. They start thinking, and the traffic is not like ours. The traffic is on the other side. So everything changes. Everything changes. Imagine when you move from one country in this world to another country in the world, how much you have to repent. How much, how much, that's what, manfiravo, changing your mind, changing your mind. How much more will you have to repent when you are coming into the kingdom of God and heaven? It's an absolutely, totally different kingdom. That's what the Bible is talking about. So without repentance, it is impossible to get into the kingdom and second, proceed, move forward into the kingdom. And that's our struggle. Our struggle is that the basic struggle of a believer should be that he's a different person. And he gets into the world, he sees the world is mostly upside down. Upside down. The world is upside down. You know? 
the kingdoms of this world is opposed to the kingdom of God. And you cannot enter into one, that is the kingdom of God, unless you are willing to turn your back to the other. It's not possible. If you are not willing to turn your back to the kingdoms of this world, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot, you, everybody knows you cannot enter through two gates at the same time. It's a narrow gate and a broad gate. Can you enter into two gates at the same time? No. Can you travel on two roads at the same time? No. Because that's how it, God introduces the kingdom. There are two gates and there are two ways. You cannot enter through two gates at the same time. You have to choose your gate. And you have to choose your road. The gate is straight. And the way is difficult. This doesn't say, like I said, you can always believe the word of God because God does not lie. He will never lie. He will always tell you the truth. He will not write the difficult things in small print. Like when you are buying something, you know, small print, that is the dangerous things. It is written in such print you cannot even read it. Like if you look at, you know, like, you know, if you have an iPhone, they are saying, you know, if you, if you want to continue with iCloud, you have to agree these terms. If you try to look into the terms, it is pages and pages long. You don't have the patience to read it. So they know you will go and say, I agree. But if you read the terms, in that will be lots of legal traps. So they will steal everything possible from your iCloud and then you cannot sue them because you agreed. But Jesus, have you noticed the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-1, the print size is the same? He doesn't lie. He says everything the same way. The good, the bad and the ugly. Everything is told the same way. And if you look into what Jesus spoke, he spoke more about the difficult things than about the easy things. Jesus spoke, if I am right, three times more about hell than he spoke about heaven. He says, you know what, let me talk about to you more about hell, because I don't want you to enter into heaven. Let heaven be a pleasant surprise. I don't want you to be surprised by hell. So I will talk to you more about hell. No? That's what God is saying. You cannot enter through, go through two gates at the same time. You cannot travel by two roads at the same time. And you cannot serve two masters at the same time. And every day when it begins, you got 24 hours, you have to choose which gate, which road, which master. And you will realize, you know what? Repentance, I need to repent. I need to change the way I think. I will not go in the way of the world. So repentance is ongoing. I'll show you a beautiful example in the Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse 5 to 18. No, 13, and then 14. We'll read it, okay? Now, we'll read a real account so we'll understand and apply it to our own lives. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them. What did he preach? Christ. He preached Christ. The gospel is the gospel of Christ. It's about a person. Preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which we did. Now you need to realize the difference between Jerusalem and Samaria. Samaria is half-breed. And the Jews wouldn't even talk to them. But look at with one accord they received the gospel. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out with many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed, the lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man 
called Simeon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is a great power of God. There was a sorcerer. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Okay. Yeah. Then Simon himself also believed. The sorcerer got saved. He also believed. And he was baptized. And he continued with Philip. And it was amazing the miracles and the signs which were done. Come further down. 14. Yeah, I gave. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord. When they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. That's his old way. If anybody, when he was a sorcerer, if anybody came to him, if anything to be get done, he he has to be paid. Sorcerers won't do anything unless they are paid. You will, you will wonder, where is all the money of this world system going? To stay in power, people to stay in power, they have to pay the sorcerers. Otherwise, they won't do a single thing. If sorcerers are not paid, the gospel is free. But sorcerers have to be paid. If sorcerers have not paid, they will not do sorcery and politicians will lose their power because they cannot blind the eyes of the people anymore to vote in a particular way. Sorcery. So sorcerers have to be paid. So what happened? His usual practice, he said, he offered the money, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Did he believe? Yes. Is he baptized? Yes. Now look at verse 20. Peter said to him, your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness. Does he have to repent? Yes. Is he saved? Yes. Is he baptized? Yes. But the problem is, you know what? He hasn't fully understood the kingdom of God. So you need to realize, even those who were with Peter and Paul, who walked with Philip, had to continuously repent because they are not understanding the standards of the kingdom. Standards of the king. Now you think about it today. Think about today. How many people are trying to buy the gifts of God which is free? So many ministries work in the principle of Simon. Send me an offering and I will pray for you. That's what he said. You give us, give me my, give me, give me also that power. You know what? He realized, you know what? If I have this power and people lay hands, I can really make money. Can I buy that please? And after you are gone, I will say, come to me, I shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just this is the fee. Fee for healing, fee for deliverance. Do you know in this city, there are pastors, when they pray over the people, before they pray for healing, they will say, this is my uh, Google Pay number. Send the offering, then I will pray. In this city. Does that mean they are not saved? We don't know. But they need to repent. Need to repent. 
So you need to understand if those who walked with people like Philip need to repent because they did not understand. We all need to repent. So repentance is ongoing. It does not stop in a day or two. Keep changing, keep changing, keep changing. Okay. And the problem is, this is where we get stuck. We get stuck here with repentance. I was using that example in the uh, Nepali church on Thursday. Imagine, because it's Hyderabad and not US, we'll go by Hyderabad terms, normal Hyderabad terms, not high-tech city terms. The rest of us live in the normal world. Okay, so go, let us say you go to a hospital which has got, uh, let's, let's say hospital or any building which has got 10 floors. Easy because we all go, have gone to hospitals. So when you go into the hospital with 10 floors, they have these huge lifts or elevators. One part of the world call it lift, another part calls it elevator. Okay, you get into this lift. And lots of people can get into it. And, you know, usually there's an operator there and he will ask and he will press 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. First, first floor, a lot of people get off. I always wonder why couldn't they take the stairs. Okay. <laughs> and then, second floor, some more get up. Third floor, some more get up. If you by chance were going to the 10th floor, by the time you reach the 10th floor, you will see you and the lift operator is the only one left. Okay. The kingdom of God is like that. You are not supposed to get down on floor 1, 2, or you are supposed to get down on floor 10. But actually, as you go further and further, you will see people are getting out. Are they in the same building? Yes. Are they on the way up? No. They got out. And some people come down by the other lift which goes down and exit the building too. Understand, this is a reality. So don't ever think as you go forward and forward and forward, the crowd gets bigger. No, the crowd gets lesser. The crowd gets lesser. And this is the entire thrust of the gospel. Will you endure if you are the last man standing? There's nobody with you. That's why Enoch is held. I had a question from a sister who was in Israel, uh, from Nepali church, asked, what is so great about Enoch? Because nothing is mentioned about Enoch other than the fact he walked with God. The greatness of Enoch was he endured his generation. And he walked alone. And God took him. On the end of the road, there was nobody who was willing to walk with him except God. That's why Enoch is so important. Those are only five or six verses of the entire Bible, six or seven or eight verses. Only one thing is written about Enoch, that is, Enoch walked with God. And entire Hebrews 11, 6 is actually about Enoch, that he pleased God. And God rewarded him. What is reward? Come with me. This is the simple thing. Will we endure till the end? No. So today's title is, Be Prepared to Endure. This is a preparation. Because the fact of the matter is, everybody won't endure. Most people won't endure. Even if you're coming to the church, like the hospital, you have already decided your floor. You already decided your floor. Because this is spiritual and not physical. If it is physical, we would all know. If God immediately made a revelation over here and put on the screen where each floor, each one of us, we will all know where we are. But it is not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. But deep inside, we know somewhere along the way, we have exited. We are not on the road. 
we have decided thus far and no more. No more. And you know what? If you're persistent in that, the Spirit of God will leave you alone. He won't push you. Like I said, the perfect gentleman, Spirit of God. He will never push you. Never push you. Okay? So, endurance, James chapter 1 and verse 12. You can't put the word trial there. You can put the word temptation there. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, accepted in Christ, there is one person in the New Covenant where Paul says, I forgot his name, it's a very important line, I mean it's not important to most people, they don't even see it, but Paul says, he's approved in Christ. I think it's the Fafras, I'm not very sure, but approved in Christ. It's not enough that we are accepted in Christ. We need to be approved in Christ. When we will be approved in Christ? When we have endured every trial and every temptation that we came, maybe we fell, we got up again and continued, we fell, got up again, and ultimately we finish our race. Approved of God. What will happen? He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. What is this crown of life? What is life? Eternal life. This is eternal life that you know God and His Son. What is the crown of life? Those people who are approved in their walk ultimately by God will experience God differently in eternity. They will experience God differently. Completely different. Their experience of God will be different. Okay, And this is the race we are in. So we have to learn to endure. So we turn to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3 and 5. Okay. What do we have to endure in this race? Okay. Different things are there. Let's see how much we can handle today. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they are asking this question, Lord. Everybody wants to know, when will you come and what are the signs just before you come? So that we can be prepared. That's the whole idea. We can be prepared. Okay? We can be prepared. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus said, Be very careful. Nobody deceives you. That's the first. So what is the first thing you have to endure? You have to endure deception. Let me tell you, if you look in church history and look in modern history, not many will endure deception. Endure deception. Let me ask you this question. If you were to be given a bundle of 500 rupee notes, how many of you will know what is true and what is fake? None of us. None of us. Get somebody who has a teller in the bank for 50 years and put it into his hands. He will immediately tell you this is fake. The rest are ordinary. You know why? Because he handled the original very well. The only way you will end your deception is because you have handled Christ. The person. The word of God. You know what is the truth. The living truth. Then only you will be able to end your deception. Otherwise we will not endure it. Okay, so he said, take heed, no one deceives you. And then he comes to verse 5. What is, how does deception come? This is what he says. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will deceive, and deceive. 
many. How did deception come? Many will come and they say that they are Christ, meaning this is the way, this is the gospel, this is the way to go. They are not on the streets, they are behind the pulpits. Behind the pulpits. You cannot be deceived in the world. You are blind in the world. You are not deceived in the world. You are deceived in the church. This is the disciples asking him. And whose name will they come? They will come in the name of Jesus. They will have a maybe a bigger Bible with them. They know the Bible very well. Well read, marked, everything. Power presentation, PowerPoint, everything they will have. Everything, every trapping of a normal church they will have. But if we do not know the truth, we will be deceived. Now, Look at this. So I, I explain. How do we endure? Well, let's look at the power of this deception. Revelation chapter 6. Okay. Revelation 6 onwards is where the trouble begins. For he's taken to heaven. Five. Six we see trouble beginning on earth. Now when I saw the lamb open one of the seals. Okay. The seals was given. Nobody was found worthy to uh, open the scroll. To break the seal. And... John the Revelator wept. You know, the only other person I have ever seen weeping over this John Derek Prince. He weeps. When he reads his portion, he weeps. Because he says, after thousands of human history, there was nobody found in heaven or earth who can break the seal, which tells you what is going to happen in the last days. And if there is nobody worthy to open the seal, then we don't know what is going to happen. and We all will be lost. Because nobody knows what is going to happen. And the angel says, don't weep. The Lamb of God has been found worthy to open the seal. So Jesus opened the seal and we therefore we have. Okay, John is taken to heaven. But if the seal is not opened, there will be no revelation. There is no book of revelation. All we have is chapter 1, 2, 3 and 4. And after that, we don't know what's going to happen. Imagine we don't have the book of revelation. There is no left behind movie. There is nothing. Nobody has any clue what is going to happen. But Jesus was found worthy. And he opens a seal. And the first seal is opened. We have a picture. The screen is starting. How the last days will roll out. I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked. Behold, a white horse, he who sat on it, had a bow and a crown was given to him. He went out conquering and to conquer. Now, this is the most controversial of all the seals. Because half of theologians, eschatologists who do future, think this is Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ. But there is a problem. Look at it. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him. He went out conquering and to conquer. Now you should look at the other two verses which I gave you from the same chapter. Right? Verse 4. Another horse, this is the second one, fiery red went out. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and the people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. If one is Jesus, what is second? Second also is granted. First is also granted. Usage is the same. Right? One is granted. In the One on the white horse is given power. Second one also is given power. If you come to verse 8. Right? Next, I saw a pale horse. The name of him sat on it was death. Hades force followed with him. Power was given to him over a fourth of the earth. Okay, so he's also been given power. 
So how did one become Christ and two, three, four all become something else? The four, the horsemen. That's where the confusion began. Now let's look at scripture and with scripture because it's all there in the book of Revelation. Turn to Jesus. That's in Revelation 19 and verse 11 onwards. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. What is the, why is this confusion? Because the horse is white. In the first horse is white. This horse also is white. And now it says, He who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many. Just not given to him a crown. Crown is his genuine birthright. It has not given. He was always a king. And his head is crowned with many crowns. Not one crown. He's sitting on a white horse. His name is given over there. His head is crowned with many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And then he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and the revelation of his name comes. How do we know the name of Jesus Christ? Because it was revealed to John. He says his name is called the word of God. That's why John begins his gospel, says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Nobody had that revelation because nobody saw. He's the first one to whom to the name of Jesus Christ is being revealed. Maybe Paul knew, but he was not told, he was not allowed to tell. But we know John saw and is allowed to reveal the name of Jesus. What is the name of Jesus? The word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. Again, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Remember, everybody is on a white horse. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Okay, So, out of his mouth comes a sword. Now, go back to Revelation 6 and verse 2, if you can. 6-2. Okay. I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Both are on white horses. And the armies of Jesus also are on white horses. The color is white over there. So what does this fellow do? He deceives. He preaches a false gospel and gives people a false righteousness and a false hope. And they don't know it. And he conquers and he conquers and conquers. You know what? God allows it. Why? Because they did not receive the love of truth. This is how he deceives. Understand? And God allows him to conquer. So the first horseman that comes is white. And he's been given the power to conquer people who don't want to believe the truth. Believe a lie. Believe a lie. Okay. And this is why you need to understand, can I endure this horseman? Can I endure this horseman? Yes, if you notice, he has no sword in his hand. He has no sword in his hand. Yet he is conquering. What does it mean? He doesn't have the authentic word of God in his hand. But he's still conquering. So he has something else. That's why Jesus said, first thing, endure deception because many will come in my name and show you the way. This is the way to take. This is the way to salvation. This is the way to salvation. So what is the antidote to deception? It's truth. The word of God. Okay. There's no other antidote. There's only one antidote. God's word, truth, true doctrine of Christ is the antidote. Otherwise you'll be killed by the venom of the snake. The snake does not come as the snake. Okay. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one to three. 
I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So it's always connected with the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, Preach the word. What is he telling Timothy? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Always be ready to preach the word. Because only the priest can, can save you from deception. Convince them. Rebuke them. Exhort them with all long suffering and teaching. Now ask me this question. Or ask yourself this question. What is that the church cannot endure today? Teaching of the word of God. Okay. So who needs patience? The teacher of the word of God's long patience and long suffering what? Because these people are not interested. Let me pack and go to another city. They are not interested. If you look, go into almost any church, one thing they cannot handle is the word of God. That can save them. And what is he telling them? I am charging you. Timothy is like a scary charge. Before God, and the son, I'm charging you, Timothy. I'm going soon. I'm on my way out. And I'm charging you. I have very few faithful preachers of the word left. And you are one of them. The problem is you are sleepy. And I'm charging you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Always be ready. Convince them. Rebuke them. Exhort them with all long suffering and Teaching, verse 3, for time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not. They will not endure sound doctrine. They will not want to listen anymore. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers. Not that they will stop listening, but they don't want to listen to the word. We're tired of this. Tell us what we want to hear. They will not endure. What is that they will not endure? They will not endure sound doctrine. That can save you from deception. That's what God is saying. You know what? You have to endure. Can you endure sound doctrine? Can you endure sound doctrine? That's why I said the test is always Derek Prince. Can you listen to one and a half hours of Derek Prince? The most monotonous voice ever recorded on planet Earth. Sound teaching. Very difficult to listen unless you love doctrine and you love your own soul. Can you? Can you handle? Because we are entertaining society. Unless we are entertained, we lose our attention very fast. We have to be entertained. We are not entertained. Our attention span is very... Uh, we are not little children. We expect them not to listen. We understand that. So in between they will... We, we are not talking about children. We are talking about adults. Can we endure? It's the question God is asking. Endure! Sound doctrine. Because a time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. But the vacuum is always there. Like I said, man cannot help it. Because man was created in God's image. Man man was created in God's image. Man and woman was God in God's created. One of the images of God is that he is truth. So man cannot live without truth. 
So if he doesn't accept the truth of God, he will make his own truth. Nobody will just do something in vacuum and go along because they have to have something that will support it to keep them from conviction and condemnation. That's why if you look at it, it is not homosexuality that is dangerous. It is the theories behind homosexuality which is being taught in the university. It is not transgenderism. It is theories. It is based on these theories which is given to us as signs by which laws are passed. Gay marriage won't be legalized by the Supreme Court unless you have Theories presented before the judges. This is what science says. Getting the picture? You will, you will not manage, man is not an animal. Animals can live with anything. There are animals which are gay. They don't worry about it. They don't need a theory. They don't need a theory. Why? They are not made in God's image. But man, it is impossible for man to do something Unless it is sanctioned either by religion or philosophy. Because he was made in God's image. Okay. That is why it is said, it is not that they will not have teachers and doctrine. They will heap for themselves teachers who will teach them according to their own desires. That is why we have to be very, very careful. Honestly, Teachers who offend your desires are the ones you should listen to. That's why they say the smite of a righteous man is good. His strike is like anointing. Why? Because he will not speak to you according to your desires. Unless your desires are like of God. He will not. Okay, He will not. So please get this picture very, very clear. And verse, uh, yeah. They will not. So what will they do? Verse 4. Did I give you verse 4? No, I didn't give you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have to have verse 4 over there. Let's look at verse 4 also. I missed verse 4. They will turn their ears from truth. What saves you? Truth. What keeps you? Truth. What takes you till the end? truth. What will they do? They will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What are fables? Fables are stories with a moral. They may be true or not. We all like stories. Panchatantra. Tell everybody the ears. Even the children suddenly will listen. Begin a fable, they will all start listening. Are those morals in it generally true? Not necessarily. Because if it is always true, it has to be eternally true. They have a good lesson. That does not mean those lessons are eternally true. Only God is eternally true and his word is eternally true. They will turn to fables. They will turn to fables, which will not last the test of God's fire. That's what God is talking about. And First Timothy 4 and verse 1, if you don't end your doctrine, what will happen? You and I will be deceived. First Timothy 4, 1. The spirit expands Expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Behind it, there are demonic intelligence. Remember, the devil was made perfect in wisdom. Perfect in wisdom. And if you, I mean, you, you guys, 
never went into that kind of a system of education. If you go into this humanistic uh, colleges, literature, you have to listen to these theorists. They are brilliant. And if you do not know God like Joseph and Daniel did, you will believe them. They can put ideas and words together. Brilliant they are. Brilliant. I've seen Christians fall left and right behind the brilliance of their arguments. But when you know God, you know their argument is false. It is not true. It will not stand the test of God's word. You know what? Therefore, they, this one word, they consciously, if you go into their, in their groups and listen, they will not accept the word called canon. Canon means law, established law. Why do you think they hate patriarchy? The entire system around the world is breaking down patriarchy because law comes down from the patriarchy. And God is a father. God is a father. Okay. Because that thing, there's no law. There is no law. No, there's no canon. And there is no patriarchy. At the end of the day, you know what? Deep in your heart, you become lawless. So the only laws they will uphold are the laws that profit them. And not what God says. So you have to be careful about it. These are the doctrines of demons. Now, let us look in context. It is interesting. Okay? 1 John 2.18. Let me have 1 John 2.18 first. I had given it earlier. Okay? Little children, it is the last hour. Again, we are looking at time. We are at the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Now we look at this and we think, all right? John is warning Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have come. And Jesus said, you need to be very careful. Many will come in my name and say, here is Christ. Our issue is that we think the Antichrist will come as Antichrist. No, the Antichrist will come as Christ. He doesn't come as Antichrist. If he comes as Antichrist, we will say, I don't want to hear anything about it. I am against Christ. He says, no, I am with Christ. That is why Jesus is talking to you. You have to put Matthew 24, 5 and this together. Many will come in my name. But if you listen to them, if you do not know the word, you will think they are speaking on behalf of Christ. Who are they showing? They are showing Christ. But it's a false gospel, a false righteousness. It is basically conquering your mind and your heart. Many antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. It is the last hour. That's how we know. So when you are talking about the antichrist, he doesn't come as antichrist. What is Christ? The one who saves. So he doesn't, will, so, what is Antichrist? The one who destroys. Does, is he going to come and say, I'm going to destroy? You know, he will come and say, I'm here to help you. I'm here to save you. Now let us look at the full context. Then you will understand. Because context also is important, right? 1 John 2, chapter 14, uh, verse 15 onwards. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And the world is passing away, the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Got it? What are you talking about? The world, the world system, don't love it. You love it. The love of the Father is not in it. And then verse 18, he says, Antichrist have come. So how are we deceived from the pulpit? We who were saved from the world is very subtly by these preachers taken back into the world. Now think for a minute. Today is a Saturday. It's a holiday for many, okay. But Monday morning on a normal day when you wake up, what is your mind full of? The world. How did we reach there? How did we reach there? You know how did we reach there? Because of the pulpit. The pulpit never forcibly, day after day, Sunday after Sunday, impressed upon the minds of the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world because he who loves the world, you know what happens? The love of the Father is not in him. Instead, Men and women came behind the pulpit and says, this is God's will for you. This is God's desire for you. This is how you need to go in the world. You need to do well in the world. It is God's will. And you know what happened? The Antichrist has come. Many Antichrists has come and drawn the people back into the world from which we were saved. Therefore, the people were not sanctified and couldn't be sent back into the world where there would be a witness. If you look into any average Christian, would you be able to say they are different from the world? Let me ask you, in which way is your desire different from the desire of anybody in the world? Which way is your desire different? Think about it. Which way is your desire different? Jesus said, the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the last days will be like the days of uh, Noah and the days of Lot. And he gave an entire list. None in that list is bad. Eating and drinking. Is eating and drinking bad? No. no. Planting, buying, selling, giving in marriage, getting married. All. Is the desire the same? Same. So what makes the child of God different? He's longing for the appearance of Jesus Christ. Therefore, everything else changes in his life. Did you understand? The danger of how the world has got into the church and our worries, our thoughts, our Imagine everything is exactly like a man. What does the unbeliever on the other side think about? He's also thinking about eating, drinking, worrying about marriage, getting married, buying, selling, prospering in this world, or worried about you are not prospering in this world. The thoughts are exactly the same. You know why it happened? But the Antichrist came in and he taught us. He taught us. So look at the entire context. Entire context. What is the will of God? That none should perish. What is the will of God? Our sanctification. What is the will of God? We are with Him forever. But is that our thought life? That's our thought life. That's what Colossians uh, 3 verses 1 to 4 says. Then if you are raised with Christ above... Think about things that are above. What does that mean? We are sitting there and thinking about the harps and the pearly gate. No. We are thinking. How would God think about my situation? How would God think about my situation? Where I am right now, how would God think about it? How would heaven look up, look at it? 
Because we are heavenly minded. We are seated with Christ. And when we look down, how do you, would you see this exact situation? Therefore, how would I say about that situation? How, what would I do about that situation? That's what the Bible is talking about. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. All God to do find ultimately with the mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay? Because our life is hidden with Christ. Your mind, your mind. What do you think about? What do you think about? Okay, what do you think about? Let me talk about parents sitting now. A parent is sitting now, you have children. If your th- mind is on about things about, what's the first thought that comes about your child every day? Will my child make it to heaven the way he or she is going? Or are you more worried about studies? You should be concerned about studies. They need to study. That's just a skill, a tool. But that's not your first concern. The first concern is, Lord, will this, if you tarry to come, delay to come, And my child crosses that age of accountability. The way I am training my child, if you cross the age of accountability and then you come, will my child make it? Tomorrow I'll preach probably on that. Jesus was was in the temple at the age of 12. And at the age of 12, he was already ready. We look at if your child is 12 years old and you are a born again believer, husband and wife and your child is 12 years old, do, does your child at 12 have what Jesus had at 12? Does your child at 12 have what Jesus had at 12? Simple question. Do we think about the things that are above? Because that's what matters. If Jesus comes tomorrow, all the money and the effort you put in your education is worth nothing. What are you going to do with it? There's no refund. I'm not saying that therefore you shouldn't focus on your education. I'm saying, how do we think? What do we think about first? Like I told the Nepali church, you think about anything. Think about anything. Each one gave me a thought. No, I won't make you unspiritual. Anything about this life. Anything about this life or not. Tell me necessities of this life. Food. Very good. Second. Tell me. Clothes. Third. Shelter. Fourth. Career? Huh? Marriage? Fine. Oh, good. I wanted all those. You know? Do you know every one of things which you said is only connected with your body? It doesn't affect your soul ultimately. Does your soul get married in heaven? No. Does your soul need clothes? No. Does your soul need food? No. And the body is temporary. Very clear the body. Everything we think about is restricted to the body. They even asked Jesus about marriage. He said, there's a marriage in heaven. That's why no pastor will pronounce over a husband and wife, your husband and wife forever. He says, until death's two part. Everything, everything we think about primarily through the day is restricted to the body. Restricted to the body. But Jesus says, even if you get this entire world, which is for the body, and lose your soul, what profit does it do to you? That's why the Bible is a very clear book, and Jesus' teaching is a very clear book, like an accountant about loss and gain. You have to be willing to lose on the side of the body to be willing to gain on the side of the soul. You have to make, that is how... 
people become rich in this world. Warren Buffet and all are multi-billionaires. How? Because they were willing to suffer loss to make gain. They gambled on the stock markets. They bought low and sold high and they suffered. And they became rich. And they are very smart in this world. That is why he said the children of this world are smart. But it's temporary. He says, look at them and see how they spend their time, energy and resources for this life on this earth. They make good investments. He said, why don't you take those principles and invest in the coming kingdom? Be smart like them. Have a profit book of profit of loss and gain and say, you know what? I'm willing to lose here so that I will gain there. I'm willing to lose here and I'm willing to gain there. I'm willing to lose here, willing to gain there. Be smart, he says. Because everything you make your investments, and you should, I'm not saying you should not. It's ultimately cut off by death. And Job knew it. He was very, he was rich, but he was not bound to his riches. He said, the Lord giveth, Lord taketh. Naked I came, naked I will go. That's not loss. He says, that's not loss. Then God struck him, allowed Satan to struck him from head to toe in his body. That also he says, that's okay. That's not loss, because his body will go anyway. I have an issue. Has I been found unrighteous in God's sight? That is my problem. He is not devastated by the loss of property, the loss of children, or the loss of health. He is more concerned, 32, 38 chapters, the question is, am I found unrighteous in God's sight or not? His entire concern is, he is a man who invested properly. Therefore, when loss took place in the physical, he is not upset. His entire fear is have a loss spiritually. Because everybody is coming and telling you, you are spiritually wrong, that's why you have lost all this. And he says, no, I am not. I am not. I am not spiritually wrong. Show me, show me, show me. My investments were wrong. Did I look at somebody like that? Did any poor one go from my house like that? He's looking at everything and says, no, 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 you are wrong. I made the right spiritual investments. That's what God is talking about. And we can be right in a church and be absolutely carnal. Carnal means our thinking is worldly. You know why? Because the Antichrist came in. Many Antichrists have come. And they deceived us. How did they deceive us? Because they came in as representatives of Christ and said, this is the will of God for you. And once that has got in, it's very, very difficult to take it out. You need surgery. Need surgery. Antibiotics won't do. Won't do. Painkillers won't do. You need surgery. It has to be cut out. That's what God is talking about. And as a result, what happens? We looked at 1 John 15 to 17 to 18 also. Antichrist comes in. And 18, then verse in Okay, Little children, this is the last hour you have heard. The Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it's the last hour. They bring this thing in. And what happens? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. There is a division within the church. People start leaving. And God says, they will live. Doctrine will divide. They will leave. They left so they would be made manifest. Why? Because they did not get what satisfied their itching ears and their carnal desires, so they left. And they left because they would be made manifest. So when Jesus talked about his life becoming our life and we dying to our life, he said, you have to eat my body, drink my blood. They were offended. 
I said, are you offended? And the Bible says, many of them did not left him, his disciples. Why did they leave him? Only because of doctrine. People leave the church primarily because of doctrine. A doctrine that is does not satisfy their natural desires and aspirations. They leave. And that's what happens. That is what the Antichrist, that's what Jesus said. Be very, very careful. Deception will come. Be very, can you endure? Can you endure? Second Timothy 4.10 For Demas has forsaken me. Why did he forsake him? Because he loved thee. Suddenly the lift stopped. Paul, Silas, all of them were going in the lift. Suddenly the lift stopped. Fourth floor. Who got out? Demas got out. Said bye. I'm not coming with you anymore. He exited. This is huge lift to call the body of Christ or the church. It's going up, up, but people are pressing buttons and getting off, getting off, getting off, getting off. And you know what? Demas exited. He stopped and got off. Why? Because he loved the present world. So one of the ways God says, will you be able to endure this world? The temptations, the testings, the trial, will you be able to endure it? And the problem is you will not buy it into it unless you have a doctrine that sells it. This is for the church. If you have, if you haven't bought the prosperity gospel, you will not have that prosperity dream. If God prospers you, don't worry. That's His job. But you won't buy that dream if it is not sold to you. Was it sold in the world? No, it was sold in the church. It is not sold in the world. It is sold in the church. Are you getting the picture? Can we endure? Which floor will we get off? Or will we stay till the end? Till the end. Did Demas endure? No. That's a question God is asking. Can we endure? Go back to Matthew 24. 6 to 8. We look at 5. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise again. Nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. From deception, he moves to the next to the natural realm. Deception is in the mind. Now you go into the natural realm. And all these things are happening. It is the beginning of sorrows. Okay. What are the things that is happening? Yeah, we, we're only looking at a 6 to 8. Okay, 6 to 8. The question is, will you be able to endure this? What is common with all these things that is happening? War, nation rising against the nation, famine, pestilence, Earthquakes. What is the common result of all this? Basically, God says, there is going to be an economic collapse in the last days. We're seeing it. We haven't seen it. Past two years, there's an economic collapse that is happening. A pestilence came. 
Okay, you have to read the reports that is coming from World Health Organization, World Food Program and all. Half the world is going into famine because of the, the, you see power cuts in North India, power cuts in China because of the coal shortage everywhere. No, nations, huge, huge states. This time in US, there won't be much Christmas shopping because the shelves are all empty. And America feeds half the world. America feels half the world and America is hungry. What happens to the rest of the world? Okay. So God says when all these things happen, will you be able to endure? Will you be able to endure? Because you received a theology, a doctrine, that it is God's will for you to prosper, brother. Always. Only health and wealth. Will you be able to endure when these things happen? Because this was the doctrine that Lot believed in. Right? Saved, but an utterly wasted life. Ultimately, he lost everything. And he did not have a doctrine to sustain him. He succeeded very well in the world. If you look at it, he succeeded very well. Socially he succeeded. He's sitting with the elders at the gate. Financially he prospered everything. The only thing he was not prepared for was the day of judgment. And when the day of judgment came, not even his family believed in the Lord. This dude could not save one member of his family. Not one member of his family. Look at Jude. Chapter 1 and verse 11. I didn't give it to you? Oh, I'm so sorry. Jude verse, chapter 1, verse 11. This is the doctrine. Three names are mentioned there. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, run greedily in the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. I never saw that movie, but if I made, I would call it the three idiots. Cain is a stubborn guy. He will never repent, never acknowledge he's wrong. And you will meet people like that. They are never wrong. They are always right. Even if you kill your own brother, I am still right. That's Cain. So he's a wanderer all his life. And then, greedily ran into the error of Balaam. Okay. That's the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam will not be able to sustain you in the day of calamity. When these things happen, if you do not have truth as your doctrine, you will not endure. When war comes, when pestilences come, when economic collapses come, these things starts happening at a personal level when you, when you, when all these things starts affecting your homes. The question is, will your faith withstand? At the end of the day, it hits your belly. It hits your belly. Can you tighten? Can you live, live frugally? Will you be able to live frugally? You see, Abraham failed the test of famine and Jacob failed the test of famine. The only one who survived was Isaac. The only one who survived the test of famine was Isaac. And don't look at if everybody will take it and run with it. He harvested a hundredfold. That's not the point. The point is that in the time of famine, he did not move. 
At the time of famine, he listened to the voice of God. At the time of famine, he listened to God's doctrine, which was opposed to the doctrine of the world. What did he do? Like we say, one thing a farmer will not do, he will not eat his seed. He has grain in his granary, and one is set apart as seed to sow in the next harvest time. He will not eat it. He will only sow it. Okay. Because if he eats it, there's nothing to sow. And he will keep it, keep it, keep it for the right time. Now, the issue here is, you have seed. And God is saying, sow it. If you sow it, you look out, no rain, no dew, land is parched. If you sow it, when actually the rain comes, I have no seed. But he trusted God and sowed it. The question is, when you have, can you endure the doctrine when famine comes? God says, give what you have. Not keep what you have. Will you have the doctrine which will test you? Because all you are standing on is God's word and God's voice. If you look through the Bible from the time of conscience to the time of Noah, to the time of patriarchs, to the time of the law, to the time of the gospel, all through the dispensations change. There's only one thing constant in every dispensation. What is that? You have to hear the voice of the Lord. Every dispensation, one thing common, they heard the voice of the Lord. And in the new covenant, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And that's the doctrine that is going to be tested. What does God say? Give. Not take. There's famine all over Israel. Everybody is dying. Everybody is hungry. And Elijah comes to a poor widow and he tells her, make bread and give it to me. She said, little flour, little oil, two cakes of bread, I and my son will eat and die. He says, give it to me. If you don't have doctrine, you will die. You will die during that season. Though you may have think you have hoarded, though you may have think you have saved, God says, it won't save you in that hour. It won't save you in that hour. That's what you are talking about. Do you have the doctrine? Because before those things can happen, you need to have a doctrine. Because everybody does things according to what they believe. You may hear one thing, you may believe in something completely different. And what you believe in is what you act. And God says, will you be able to endure? Because he's giving them the signs of the last days. Will you be able to endure when that thing comes? You will be able to endure because you believe that and you continuously had a lifestyle of giving. Though we have to receive, it's blessed to receive. It's more blessed to give. So that became our lifestyle yesterday morning. We were looking at how that thanksgiving and praise and worship. It begins there. A grateful heart. If you don't have a grateful heart, you won't have a giving hand. Understand that. A grateful heart goes with a giving hand. Ungrateful heart will never, it will always have a clenched left. You're always angry with God and you don't trust God. Therefore you won't give. A grateful heart and an open hand goes together. Goes together. Okay. That's why we have to be very, very careful about these things and check on my heart. Oh, at the end of the day, am I grateful? Thank you, Lord. 
And the Bible talks about it. We saw that it is the first thing that is mentioned in Romans 1 and verse 21 is that, you know what? Even they, though they knew him as God, they did not glorify him as and the immediate effect, they were not thankful. Let me ask you this question. Let me, I mean, you don't have to answer me. I'm not God. I'm just a servant. Let me ask you, are you grateful for your state in life? Are you grateful in your content, grateful to God with your current state of life? I'm not talking, if you're discontent, it should be only about your spirituality. Or I'm not content with my spirituality because I know there are many more floors to go. Many, many heights to go. I'm not content with that. Are you grateful about the rest? Think about it. Because this goes together. And we know, we know we need to realize we will not be able to endure. How did the apostles endure persecution? How did they endure the beatings and the chainings and dreary cold days and nights in the prison? Lying in prison, he is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I tell you, you know, they are grateful. You know what Paul is saying? I know who I was. You know who I was? The worst of sinners. Do you know who am I? I am a servant of God. What a difference. I am not worthy to be this. So it doesn't matter what I go through. You know what I will be? I'll be always grateful. You don't know who we were? We were children of wrath. Destined to burn in hell forever and ever. Do you know who we are? Children of God. And do you know what this life is? Temporary. Do you know what is coming? Eternity. Do you know why we go into eternity with God? Did we earn it? No. It was given to us free because his son died on the cross for my sake. You know what, Lord? I am grateful. I am grateful. It doesn't matter even if I feel I am in, in a cell, in isolation, in chains, and nobody understands me. It does not matter. You know what, Lord? I know where I am going. I know whose I am. I am going to be grateful. A grateful heart will become a giving hand. That's how you endure. You endure. Okay. Otherwise we have swallowed the doctrine of Balaam. Everything is based on profit. It's based on profit. He's only looking for gain. If it will gain me, I will curse God's people also. My ministry is a ministry of gain. That's the doctrine of Balaam. It's all about prosperity. It's all about the temporary. Nothing about the eternal. Eternal is not factored at all. The man who is walking with God, the woman is walking with God, who says, if the Lord wills, even when he is going tomorrow. What am I going to do tomorrow? If the Lord wills, is what James 5 says. If the Lord wills. Meaning if God doesn't will, it's okay. I make plans. But if God disposes the plans, I am okay. <laughs> Ultimately, I am God's servant. I don't want to go somewhere which God doesn't want me to go. I don't want to possess something which God doesn't want me to possess. I don't want, I'm going to name it and claim it and have it jabardasti. I'm going to bend God's hand if I want to. No, I don't want anything he doesn't want for me. Because one thing I know about God, he's good. All the time he's good. It's good. And the question is, if we don't have the right doctrine, we will not be able to sustain and endure the terrible days. And Jesus warned about perilous days. That's one word Paul uses. There will be 
perilous. You know, it's the only place the Bible uses that word perilous in Greek is where you have the demonic man in gatherings. He says there will be demonic days towards the end. It will be absolutely demonic. Demonic. Perilous. Can we endure? Let's look at another two verses. 9 and 10. Matthew 24, we looked at 5 on verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations by my, for my name's sake. Not Rashtrapati medal, Seva medal, no. You will not be approved by nations. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. What is God saying? He says from top to bottom. From the governmental system to the local, your home, offense and hatred and betrayal will become the norm over me. The division is over me. <laughs> Yesterday's UN, one of their suggestions is that talking against the LGBTQ should be criminalized. It will become the law. You wait and see. All this will become the law that you are not allowed to speak about it. The problem is that they know that. Because if you speak about it, these children who are growing up will think, grow up thinking, this is wrong. Therefore, they will make the right choices. But if nobody speaks about them, how do they make the right choices? If evil is sold as good, a child who is innocent and ignorant, how will she know it is bad? If those who know it is evil are silenced. One by one by one by things are being changed. And those who stand for what God says, my name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So his name's sake is talking about the paths of righteousness. They will hate you. And they will label you as homophobic. And the fact of the matter is, the ones who love the Lord are the ones who are not homophobic, who actually love them and do not want them to end up in eternal hell. Because the Bible says every sodomite will end up in eternal hell. And you don't want them going there. Therefore, at the risk of your own life and your own freedom and your own liberty, because you love them, you speak about it. And God says, you know what will happen? You will be delivered up to tribulation. And they will kill you. You will be in prison. You will die in prison. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended. Offense and betrayal. The question is, when that revelation, that times come, if you listen to the Zoom prayers, you will see brothers, sisters, praying for the pastors in India, lying in prison. Preaching the gospel is hate speech. It has become hate speech. You can't preach the gospel. And they will always use this word inducement. How are we inducing people? I don't know. How are they inducing? Have you ever seen any evangelist going there offering people rice and money? Inducing. Now Karnataka Assembly wants to build with saying to pray for healing in the name of Jesus. This is a form of inducement. So it should be become illegal. 
and we think it's only the Hindu government. No, the Jatedar of the Amritsar of the SGPC, the Punjab, this thing said, the Christians are converting the Sikhs through inducement. Everybody is saying the same thing. They are inducing. So we have to be criminalized. The preaching of the gospel has to be criminalized. Basically, what is the government saying? We will allow you to preach the gospel if you tell them every sinner will go to heaven without repentance. But remember, there is another gospel like that that is being preached. And that is flooded in the market and the churches are full. This did not come to save you from your sin. He will save you in your sin. But that's not a gospel. That's not a gospel. That's a false gospel. So wherever you see there is liberty to preach the gospel in this hostile system is where the doctrine has been changed. And you will see one word that's primarily that has been removed from the preaching of the gospel in those systems is the word repentance is removed. You don't have to change. You can be a sodomite, you can be homosexual, you can be gay, you can be lesbian, you can be transgender, you can be anything. It does not matter. It does not matter. And then finally, you have a unity of religion. It does not matter. You can be Muslim, you can be Hindu, you can be anything. Everybody is ultimately going to heaven. That is what is happening. All Gods are the same. But your and my God says, sorry, I'm not the same. I'm different. I'm different. The question is, will you be able to endure when the system turns hostile? Will your faith stand? Will your faith stand? We haven't faced it yet. Really faced it yet. It's coming. And the question is, will you be able to endure? Are we prepared for that? Our conviction so, so deep that I would rather die than betray Jesus? Look at Acts 14 and verse 22. This is the apostles. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Who is this? If you look at the preceding verses, it is interesting, if I am right. Okay. Let me show you the preceding verses. I'm just, from my memory, I'm just... Okay. 14? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Verse 19. Read from verse 19 to 22. Then you will understand who can persuade. Who can strengthen? The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they, when they preached, the guy got almost stoned to death yesterday and today he's preaching. The same gospel. You can do whatever you want. My gospel will not change. And what is he saying in verse 22? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You know, probably how he looked like that day, his one eye must have been shut, all of his swords and scars of the stoning he got, and he's standing there and strengthening them because he says, I have come through. You can come through. Can you endure? 
So the Bible is saying, will you endure each of these things? Can you endure deception? Can you endure famine, scarcity, scarcity? Have you ever fasted one meal in your life? That you know the pinch of hunger and have come through it one day in your life? So it doesn't bother you, you are used to it. Ah, seven days, how many days? Government says don't get out of the house, no ration is coming. Seven days, no problem. A seven day fasting was normal. What about 21 days? Ah, no problem, have handled 21 days. What about 40 days? No problem, why? That is our lifestyle. We are okay. Government says COVID Delta variant plus 2-2 has come in. Everybody sit outside. We will drop rations. Nobody is allowed to come in. Ration doesn't come. And all internet is down. All lines are down. He has nobody to call. Can you sustain yourself? Because you are used to a lifestyle. And you know God is there. He will take care of you. He will take care of me. His grace is sufficient for me. Will he be able to endure? That's what the question is talking about. Our, I mean, the Christians lying in prisons around the world, even in India, you know what they want to do? Those pastors lying in the prisons in North India, if they were to call up the system and say, you know what, I'm willing to become Hindu and recant my fate, they will immediately change the charge sheet and let them out. They don't. They don't. From 2000 times, that was the carrot that was offered. Recant. Change your faith. People. The Bible is talking about, will you be able to endure what is these things? Endure? No. Because we are not running a 100 meter dash. It's an endurance. In a long run, finishes when you die. Will you be able to endure? And all simple thing is to look at, how am I handling present trials? Am I enduring it? See, most people won't go there. Their trials and testings are in their own homes. Right? And why is everybody, everybody except for the little ones, okay, their only endurance test is when on a Sunday and Saturday they have to listen to preaching. Okay, ah, then that's no endurance and they love it. They have no issues. And I have no issues with them. I have issues with the adults. I don't have issues with the children. Okay? Now let me ask you this question. What you are going through in your personal life is basically preparing you to endure bigger things. The question is, are you enduring now? Are you coming through even more convinced Christ is true and I will not go back on my covenant with him? Because we made a covenant with him. Everybody made a covenant with him when you believed. Especially when you got baptized. Public one was a private covenant. Boy looks at girl, girl looks at boy and says, I like you. I want to marry you. Let us talk to our parents and pastor. Talk to parents and pastors. And they also says, okay, get married. On one day, publicly, they got married. But there was a private commitment first and a public commitment. So when you believed, it was a private commitment. The commitment is valid. Public commitment is baptism. You made a private covenant with God. Lord, I believe in you. You are my savior. You are my Lord. You are my master. Right? That's what Rebecca did. Long journey. Finally reaching near uh, from uh, Isaac's home. She sees Isaac and she asked him, who is that? And he said, your Lord. She got down and covered herself. Immediately. That's my Lord. Marriage is later. Already acknowledged, you are my Lord. Did anybody see? No. 
Only Eliezer and the few men who were with him, they saw. She's already surrendered to his will. Later there is a huge function, marriage, entire kanta, everybody is the big ceremony where they are exchanging their vows. But before that she had already acknowledged. So your belief is valid before God. God says, will you endure what you promised me? That's what God is talking about. Will we endure? Can we endure? Can I take five more minutes or ten more minutes? Right? Let's go. We have time. No, let us redeem the time. Otherwise, it will go in Bakwas. Verse 11. 24, 11. Again, on top of it, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. This rising up of false prophet is like the door rising when you put leaven. They keep on rising and rising and rising. Elijah must have got tired killing all of them. A little later, another 400 have risen. And only one true prophet, Micaiah. Another 400 standing there prophesying. These false prophets will rise like they multiply like rabbits. Have you noticed the false prophets? False prophets of climate change. That's a new religion. From the Pope down onwards, we need to save our planet. Dude, save people. That's your job. Your job profile is saving of human souls, not the planet. Planet cannot be solved, saved. It is destined for destruction. Try to do whatever you can do. But it cannot be saved. The Bible says bonfire is getting ready. This will, the whole stuff will be burnt. Save souls. But you know prophets of climate change. From pulpits. Parliaments, everybody. We have only eight years left before the earth will go because of global warming. Young and old, from Biden to AOC, they are all AOCs. You know what AOC is? Agents of China. Then there is social gospel. That's what is happening now. It's a social gospel. See, the, the social gospel will appeal to everybody who doesn't want to work and yet wants to eat. If you don't want to work, but you want to eat social gospel, you know what? Government says, anything you will agree, just give me my free rations. It's selling around the world. That is why we keep, keep, keep telling you and the young ones, work, work, work. Not about your studies. Learn to inculcate the habit of hard work. Because if you are lazy, there is a gospel you will believe. You will receive. And you will give up all your rights just for the free ration the government will provide. Food stamps in America. Rations here. One rupee rice, one rupee dal. Imagine they give you vegetables and oil and eggs also. Who will work? Who will work? You know, the past few months this year, America, things were opening up, but nobody was coming to work. 
You know why in many states nobody was going to come to work? Because they looked, if I go to work, then the, the government money that is coming to me free will stop. And they look, I get $500 every month. And if I go to work, I will only get $400. I will sit at home. I will not work. It's a cult, it's a nation that was built on the culture of hard work and thrift. It's now lazy, doesn't want to work. And those who want to work will not be allowed to work. It is jab or job. You want to work? Take it. And keep on taking it. The booster also has been ratified. And you realize, you don't, can you endure it? All false prophets of climate change. Right? Social gospel. Another movement is coming. The vegan movement. You know why the uh, temperature is rising, the carbon listing? It's all because of beef. Truly, they want to cut down. That's because beef is being produced basically in US. India, it's only produced because of our old ways of farming. You know what they will do? They will change the ways of farming and cut down the population of the cattle in India too. When it becomes an agenda. So that you know what? Will change. And that is another movement. Stop eating meat. Because cattle produce all this. And others are saying, we should also pass a law. People should not have children. These are ideas coming out. I say, why don't you kill yourself? <laughs> and save the planet. Do you see? And people buy it. People buy it. People buy it. And these are all sold to the church, to the Christians first. India also, one of the big leaders said yesterday, population control must be a must. Do you see? And the prophets of pro-choice. Not pro-life, pro-choice. How many churches in the world today actually approve of pro-choice, meaning of abortion? Do you know the bill has been, uh, the, uh, has been approved in India up to 24 weeks? 24 weeks a baby to be aborted, that baby is almost ready to come. 24 weeks. Nations are changing. Nations are changing. And we buy it. The church buys it. The church sells it. There are pastors full of pro-choice movement. False prophets will arise and deceive many. We'll say, this is it. That's the way it should be. And they buy it. And they all claim they are Christians. So I said, the shoes, it's all coming from the church. The question is, will you be able to endure You'll be able to endure. What will happen? Verse 12. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. God says, one side, lawlessness is increasing. It has a parallel effect on the society. Lovelessness will increase. And in the middle of it, I want you to be absolutely tuned to the law of God which is written in your heart and be as loving and kind as possible. Will you be able to be till the end? 
That is the key. This is not the problem. The problem is, can you look exactly the other way? I am not lawless. It doesn't matter how many laws the government changes. I will stick to what God has said. And they will call you lawless. Well, they are lawless. Lawlessness will abound. It will abound. And love of many will grow cold in the minute of it. In the middle of it, God says, I want two things from you. One is that you should be absolutely sticking to my truth. Because my truth is your life. And two, the entire purpose of everything is you have to be loving. So can you be lawful and loving at the same time when everything is going against you? Deception, famine, pestilence, wars, betrayal, tribulation. Even more false prophets with false doctrines in the middle of it. Lawlessness and lovelessness. Will you endure? Till the end? Because he says, he who endures. He who endures. That's, that's the issue. Which floor will you get off? I'll give you one more word and we will stop. Because it's much more, but we'll keep it for another day. Galatians 5-7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You ran well. He's telling Galatians, you ran well. And then you press the button and go down. Who stopped you? This is the truth for me, personally. I look around and I, I go around and I've gone around and I, that kid was running well. What happened to him? No, he's dropped out of church. What happened to you? You were running well for a season. Then he stopped. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You look in the Bible. How many people do you see running and finishing? Who hindered you? You ran well. You're walking well. You're growing. And then suddenly you stopped. Who hindered you? Who stopped you? Who deceived you? Who pulled you off the road? It's the question God is asking. Because the whole thing is that we have to endure till he comes. He, he, he who endures till the end shall be saved. Okay? This is a very protective environment. That's not the point. The point is that once this protective cover is lifted off, like in Joseph's, Lifted up or Daniel's lifted up. The simple question to ask you is, will you survive? That's a question we need to ask. Okay, we have in so many ways a protective environment put the covering of the church which meets practically seven days and the seven days we meet on Zoom or internet or physically seven days we meet at least once or most days twice. We meet. So you have a covering constantly hearing, 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 hearing that keeps a check on you. Stay in, stay in, stay in, stay in. Okay. The question is, one day that thing is taken. God moves you to another place, another situation. The question is, would you be able to endure? Now there is no constraints on it. Nobody's telling you. Nobody's checking on you. See, only on Zoom we will know if somebody is listening because your ID comes there. 
And most people do not know I am on Zoom because they don't know my ID. Only very people know I am there. But most people don't know that I am there always checking. Okay, not this thing and keeping while working on this thing. But if you are watching on YouTube or uh, Facebook, if your ID is something, you wouldn't, nobody would know whether you are listening or not. So for a lot of people who are not here, it's your personal responsibility. But I am saying, if you are physically also you are moved from this place, will you survive? It's not, it is, it is not a, a protective environment. It is the opposite. It's an extremely permissive environment. Joseph was taken to a very permissive environment. Where the master's wife would sleep with a manservant and it was okay. Nobody bothered about it. Nobody bothered about it. It's a culture. Nobody bothered about it. You have moved from a protective environment to an absolutely permissive environment. The simple question God is saying is, will you endure? Can you endure? We looked at so many things. And that's what he's telling the church at Galatia. You ran well. You ran well. Who hindered you? Who stopped you from continuing in the truth? Who stopped you? You got gone off track. You went off track. Who stopped you? It's a question. The last question is interesting. It's a question to end today's message. You ran well. Maybe it's talking to you or me. It's talking to somebody. You ran well for a season. You ran well. Now you stopped. You're no longer on the track. You're no longer in the race. Physically may be present. Spiritually you're not in the race. You took off. You pressed the button and you exited. Who stopped you from obeying the truth? You have to look through the letter of Galatians. It's a series of anguish from a prophet. Can I give it? <laughs> one six, three one, five seven. I marvel. It's astonishment from a prophet, apostle who lived among them, built that church. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, the person who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. How did you? I'm amazed. I go for a mission trip. I come back. What is happening here? He said. Three one. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And five seven, who hindered you? You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Did you see three one five seven everywhere? You. Circle the word truth. It's, you're moving away from the truth. Truth is narrow. The gate is straight. The way is difficult. I am the way. I am the truth. You're moving away from the truth. You move away from him. You move away from the truth. The truth is the person. Who hindered you? You ran well. He's telling you ran well. I was very proud of you. As a church, as a community of believers, you're running very well. Then what happened? You flipped. And honestly, that's the truth. All of us, and especially for me who goes on missions, second time I visit, third time I visit, the ones who are running so well the first time are not to be seen. Second time, another set is seen. Third time you go, they are not there. It's very, very difficult, honestly, if you are on missions, to find consistently the same people in that race 
face like a flint towards Jerusalem, will not turn left and right, and they are progressing. Very few. Don't be part of that, that fall away. Be part of that who continue in the faith. Continue. Consistent. Because Jesus said in the last days will come scoffers and mockers. Will be able to sustain that too. Your faith will be scoffed. Your doctrine will be scoffed. Your determination will be scoffed and mocked. And sometimes you feel you are alone. Like Elijah felt, I am alone. Alone. But the fact of the matter is he was alone. Yes, but he stood alone. At the end of his race, he's standing alone before God. He was alone before the king. He was alone in Kerith. He was alone in Zarephath. He was alone at Carmel. And he's still standing alone before God. And God says, I know. But you are not the only one. There are seven others, seven thousand others. But he's standing alone. God says, will you stand alone? Can you stand alone? Will you be able to endure what is already happening before our eyes? And it will get worse as it goes by. Keep that in your mind. Galatians 5.7 You ran well. You ran well. Who hindered you? Who stopped you? From obeying the truth. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Maybe you are speaking to us. Many of us. The question is very personal. From you. You ran well. What stopped you? You are no longer obeying the truth. You have framed your own truth, your own arguments, your own excuses. Though you know deep within, it is not the truth. There is only one way. To repent and come back to the truth. The doorway is always the same. The doorway of repentance. And I pray, Father, that you would grant us repentance if we have gone off that road. That we would come back to that road. Not accept any other gospel. Because there is only one gospel. It is the gospel of Christ. It is about a person. And our life is completely hidden in that person. There is no other gospel. Come into the church here, all who are listening, everywhere, Lord, into their hands. And I pray, Father, we will prepare to endure till the very end. For you said he who endures till the end shall be saved. Help us, Lord. Help us to have that enduring faith. Help us one day at a time. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. Come in the rest of the day, the evening Q&A, all into thy hands, O Lord. Be with us, Father. Keep us, keep us close to you, Lord. Keep us close to you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.